Good morning, uh, one and all. Very warm welcome uh, to you this morning. Um, I'm going to start by sort of asking a question, really, which is, I don't know whether you've had the experience with people you know, you've been at school with, or you work with, or you know, who's to say, do you know, the problem with you Christians is this. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You don't practice what you preach. I wonder whether you've heard anybody say that to you or about Christians generally. And kind of the thing about this passage we're looking at now and generally is this, is that does it really make a difference being a Christian in the real world? You know, does, it, does it really make a difference? Or is Christianity just a set of beliefs and has nothing really to do with life and practice? Does it matter that we're Christians? Does it make a difference? If you read some of the statistics, I'll try and get that word out, some of the statistics around some of the things around marriage and around, for example, pornography on the internet, around some of the stuff of the brokenness of our world, lots of the statistics aren't really very encouraging. So the question is this, should we as Christians expect something to be different Knowing that something wrong, knowing that, that things are right and wrong, but actually being able to live in the light of what is right are two different things. And kind of, I guessed if I chatted to you and talked to you, you would say, yeah, I sort of know that. There's some things I'm quite okay with, but there's some struggles in my life that actually once you get beyond the surface, that actually I do need the power of the Holy Spirit to live differently. You know, my human will will only get so far. You know, we are living in a world at the minute where actually there's lots of love and desire for people to change. Change our patterns of behavior around the climate, change our patterns about how we deal with people from different ethnic or racial backgrounds. There's a real desire for change, but is it really realistic to change? Can we change? That's what we're thinking about today as we look at this morning's passage. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you know everything about each one of us this morning. You know our struggles, our heartaches. You know the amazing things in our life that just richly grow and speak of you. But we ask, Father, in compassion, in tenderness, would you come to each one of us? Would you minister your grace afresh to us, particularly to some of the struggles of our lives? Thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you that you come to us in love. Amen. 
Okay, we're going to go through fairly quickly uh, this passage. I'm going to just go through it on, on some of it, and then we'll uh, wrap up uh, towards the end too. The Apostle Paul, as we've been following, wants these Galatians to understand what their inheritance is in Christ, to grasp the freedom that is theirs in Christ. And we talked about that last week. And verse 13, um, onward, 13 and 14, if you've got a Bible in front of you, you might want to open it or get it on your phone, says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, sometimes translated flesh, rather than serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So what are we free for? We're free to love God because God sent his one and only son, his beloved son, to enable us to live and fulfill his purposes and to live a life of fullness in the real world. What does that look like? Simply to love God and to love others. We can overcomplicate it, but to love God and to love others. And you see, the thing is this, is an environment where fish uh, swim, where fish swim and they find life, and that environment is water. For us as human beings, the place where we flourish and we grow and we come to life is in that place of love. It's an environment of love. That's where true freedom flourishes and true freedom grows. Mother Teresa once said, and bear in mind what she used to do, being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. Do we think that? Do we think that? We are most free and God intended this way when we are connected to our living God, our loving God. And when we turn away from God, we find ourselves enslaved by all the things of this world. And a good rule of thumb is this, says Paul, treat people the way you would love to be treated. Treat people the way you would love to be treated. Walking by the Spirit is the thing that Paul commonly talks about for his practice of living the Christian life. As Christians, we're on a journey somewhere. We are walking somewhere. We're walking to the new creation. We're going to be with God. We're walking, admittedly, is maybe unspectacular. It's slow and it requires perseverance. But we're called to walk and the thing is this, we can walk, but we don't come about change. We don't find a place of change just on our own. We need our hearts changed to reach that place. It's not enough, as I said, just to know what's right and wrong. Paul has been trying to get across to these Galatians. That will only get you so far. Nearly probably everybody here knows it's not good for us or the people around us to be consumed by anxiety. It's not good for us to be really judgmental of the people near us and around us. It tends to go out from us. We know that. I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know. 
but it's difficult to live like that, isn't it? If you think about the last 18 months of two years, it's difficult to live like that for all sorts of reasons. So where do we get the power? Where do we get the power to live like that, to live the way God longs for us to live? We need God's Spirit. That's what God has given us. He's given us his Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is like the engine in a car. And each of us need the Spirit's power in our lives to live like this. We can't do it on our own. We weren't intended to do it on our own. It's a spirit that produces the righteousness that we actually all crave deep inside of us. And the law couldn't achieve. So Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. But Paul speaks uh, five times, and it's translated in the passage you've got here as sinful nature, but I think a slightly better translation is the word flesh. And when I say flesh, I don't mean the physical body. Paul isn't anti the physical body. The flesh is what we, is everything that really lives and seeks to live independent of God. Life without God. Flesh is the very human desires to live without God and not being in relationship with him is an easy way of thinking about it. And verse 17 says this, for the sinful nature of the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And one writer put it this way, the reason we live at such a low level is the over-desire of the flesh, is one way to describe it, the over-desire of the flesh. It's quite a helpful way of talking about it. You see, we were made for God. We were created for God to be in relationship with him. But we substitute something in creation for our creator. And we start worshipping creation rather than our creator God, who we're called to love and to be in relationship with. And we find ourselves subject to the desires or the over-desires of the flesh. So what are the fruits of the flesh? We've had them read, and I think I'm putting them up there. One writer divided them into these uh, four groups. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Fifteen items that show us the fruit in a way I've decided to call it. They're at war with the Spirit, His Spirit within us, it says, Paul talks about. Notice, um, I haven't got time to go into it, but notice that the different number of things that are at war in a Christian community. Notice the fruit that destroys a Christian community. So how do we change? How do we resist those over-desires of the flesh? And change, I'd like to suggest, begins with a vision. And what we see at the end of verse 21, that vision for a Christian is having a vision of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is coming. A Christian is someone who anticipates the future, God's God future breaking in in the kingdom of God and recognizes how glorious that is for us, how splendid that is for us. 
And this morning, do you long for a life full of love, full of joy, full of peace, full of patience for both yourself and others, for a faithfulness, a gentleness, a perseverance, a self-control? Do you long for that kind of life for yourself and for those around you? Do you long that for us as a community? Do you think Bath would love a community like that too? That they walk into a community that's full of love and joy and peace and patience? I happen to think they would. Throughout the New Testament, what we find is writers trying to explain and what it means to be a Christian and to have the Spirit of God at work within us. A life that's changing us and transforming us. And the two different terms, you may have heard this. I remember when I was growing up, people used to use lots of big words. And in fairness, I didn't really understand the word of what they were saying, but I sort of got the gist of it. But you'll find that they use the word justification and sanctification. And really simply, I want to try and just explain uh, very simply a slight difference in that. And the word sanctification is the fact that we are being transformed. A Christian is gradually being transformed to be like Jesus. More and more, I'm becoming like Jesus. And we saw in Galatians 2 when uh, Paul was explaining, we see the word justified. We come, God comes in Christ and puts us right with God. And this is a very simple table if you want to understand the difference uh, between justification and sanctification. One is a one-off event that's done. God has done it in Christ. The work is finished. We can't re-crucify Jesus, re-resurrect him, it's done. By grace, through faith in Christ alone, we are made right with God. But also, as we um, receive his life and receive his spirit, as God saves, the work of sanctification takes place, starts to take place in our life. God transforms us into his likeness. As we're open to his spirit at work within us, God longs to bring that lifetime work of making us more like Jesus. Which means we've got to put ourselves in a place to actually receive from him, to learn to receive what he has to give to us. It means it's spending time in Scripture, spending time praying, spending time with God's people, in spending time serving people in the city, spending time doing all the things Christians have done generation after generation. is not fruitless work. It's the work of the Spirit that God's always called his people to. I'd just like to finish with, um, I actually was supposed to cover till uh, 6 verse 10, but verse 1 of, of chapter 6 I think is one of the beautiful verses of the New Testament. I happen to think, just my view. Because the thing is this, if you've received something from God, however small you think that is, you will long to give that away. If God has done something good in your life, and you've received something, you remember the time when you felt at the bottom and God came and forgave you and cleansed you, give that away to other people. As God has done something in your life, he longs for you to give that away for, to other people. And if we want to be those people, we need to find that place of gentleness in our brokenness. 
As a slight side issue, when I was in my mid-twenties, I went on a retreat to do for some, um, it was some counseling, but also some healing training. And this guy was in his twenties, he's working for a church. I was in my twenties, I was working in the NHS, and we got in a conversation. And I was sort of saying, why are you here? I don't mean to be blunt, but you know, have that conversation, why are you here? He said, well, I know I need healing, but if I go into my own church, I feel like I'll take a sledgehammer, and I need brain surgery. Gentleness, respect, love, care with each other. They're the mark of grace, the mark of God, a community being changed into the likeness of Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for your hand upon us. That we're not forgotten. We're not ignored by you. We are deeply loved by you. And I want to thank you for for Paul's passion to try and get the Galatians to see that you're so much bigger than their their kind of understanding. Would you enlarge our minds to how, how good life can be with you? Help us to shake off some of those bad habits and that unhelpful thinking that means that we restrict the life that we think we are called to. Would you crucify We take all the brokenness of our lives, the sins of our lives, the things we're ashamed of, and we take them afresh this morning to the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, set us free. Help us to live as your free people. Help us to continue to receive the life of your spirit so we can share that with others. In Jesus' name. Amen.